morning, church. Ryan Ashley here. This Wednesday night, a couple announcements. This Wednesday night, November 17th, we're having an all-church prayer gathering for one hour, 6.30 to 7.30, and we're going to be meeting at uh, the property we're under contract to buy at 7135 West 68th Avenue. If you've never been there before, we'd love to have you. Um, we're just uh, coming in and gathering to pray. You're welcome to bring your kids. Uh, you might want to bring some things to help them uh, make their way through uh, the evening, but we would love kids to be there. We'd love kids to participate in praying together. Um, and we just want to come together as a church and uh, mark this moment, um, another moment in the life of our church, um, as we head forward. Also, a week from today, Sunday, uh, November 21st, we're going to celebrate. We're going to have a party. It's our 10th birthday as a church, and so we are going to celebrate together. We're going to have a potluck together. Bring your best dish. Bring whatever you got. Bring your kids. Um, we're going to have some things for the kids. We're going to have, you know, we're going to celebrate with birthday cupcakes, the whole deal. So, but we want you to come ready to potentially share, uh, share with this in really brief. Uh, we were going to have you do it on video, but we scratched that. That's too much work. We just, we just want to hear kind of what this community means to you. Not what the, the, you know, the brand of our church or whatever, or the teaching, none of that. We just want to know what this community means to you. And it's really important as we get into Psalm 133, because that's what this psalm is all about. Psalm 133, you've read it already in house church. It's a way shorter psalm than last week. Last week was a super long one. Uh, it's a short three-verse psalm, song, that is being sung by the people of God, and um, they're enjoying the fact that they're in community. And I think it's beautiful. It's short. Uh, it's kind of powerful. It's evocative. It's kind of uh, weird, I guess. Uh, some images that we're not used to. But I'll just say this. It's a very difficult psalm to practice especially for us, especially for us kind of Westerners, our hyper-individualistic culture makes it really difficult for this one to hit home. And I think all of us have this deep longing for this, but we're wounded and we're, uh, we're on the defense. We're a little jaded, we're a little skeptical that this could even Happen. So I want to walk us through this psalm a bit. A bit. And um, I think that you and I can agree that the pandemic hasn't helped this. I mean, let alone the fact that there's a spread of a virus, but there's so much disagreement and there's so much um, nervousness about what we think people might think or where we think people might land. People have gotten more isolated. And with my work with the police department, there are many more suicides, many more overdoses, many more people being checked in on um, that live alone. Um, and I think we're more isolated than ever before. And I think that the church has to be extremely, our church has to be extremely intentional 
and stubborn about being in community. And we're going to get into that here in a, in a, set, in a, in a second. Uh, Martin Buber is a philosopher back in the day, and he said this. I think this is an interesting phrase. He said, all actual life is encounter. Like actual life, actual living is encountering other human beings. And that is a hard statement to live into. Because so many of us have been hurt by encounter. But I think what Martin Buber is getting at is the fact that as human beings, we are created, we are specifically designed to be in encounters with each other. And the moment, I believe, the moment you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior and that somebody that you want to follow and emulate and apprentice, that you actually become part of a faith community. You become, you become part of a family. And whether you write your name down on a membership list or get an email from a church, it doesn't matter. You follow Jesus you're in a family. There's no way out of it. And it's not an option at all. It's part of the fabric of our redemption is encounter with other people, is being in a family relationship. All of the New Testament is about family. Brothers and sisters, my friends, all of this language, all throughout the New Testament, the disciples, the people of God. You, we say this all the time. You cannot follow Jesus alone. It's not an individualistic sport. You have to have encounters with others. Now, there's not a recipe or, or a metric that says you have to be in certain relationships with this many people. That's not what I'm saying. It's just that God does not make private and secret salvation deals with people. He doesn't. Salvation is bigger and you know this, we've had this conversation before. Salvation is bigger than personal forgiveness. And personal forgiveness and a passport, you know, a ticket to heaven um, is not the end game. Now, salvation includes forgiveness and it includes heaven. And you know my conversation with us about what heaven is and what it isn't. Salvation is more than forgiveness. Salvation is becoming the fully human version and vision that God intended you to be. So you are saved from the corrupted version of how you and I normally act as human beings. We're, we're, we begin to see that God wants more out of us and more from us than that. And actually, that is life to the fullest. That is the pilgrim journey, right? The fully alive image of God, uh, the Imago Dei in us, that is the way of Jesus. And it includes forgiveness. But it's not just forgiveness. It's much more than that. So sure, God does have uh, this desire to have a, a relationship with you as an individual human being. And it's personal. And it's, dare I say, intimate. I don't like that word. But it's never private. It's not a private thing. 
No follower of Jesus is an only child. You are in family. And so we need to understand that you and I, different than the psalm, the psalmist is living in a time that is all about community. You were known as uh, someone who was from a certain family, clan, and a certain tribe. And everything you did as a human being was to honor that, to bring honor to that group and not shame. Today, we live in a very different way of thinking. And the way of thinking we live in is one of radical individualism, um, personal liberty, and the, the basically the the. The charge that our culture gives us is you decide who you are and everybody else has to deal with it. And it's a very Western thing. And actually, I think living in the Western part of the West of the United States actually gives us even more of a individualistic feel. Like if you've grown up on the West, I, I grew up in California. Some of you grew up out here. Um, it's, it's even more pronounced. We need more space. We need more land. We need more room than our East Coast uh, um, American family. You know, we, um, we like to be um, alone and on our own. And it's like this rugged Western individualism. But when you begin to follow Jesus, it's not as if you and I are necessarily instantly transformed into unselfish human beings. When we follow Jesus, uh, we don't become nice people at the snap of a finger. We are complex, we are messy, and, and we're irritable loners all at once. That's just, that's just part of the fact that um, we are human beings in need of grace and we're in constant movement towards God. We don't just snap our fingers at salvation and everything's fixed. And so this psalm is about community. This song is about community. And the question is not, am I going to be part of a community of Jesus followers? That's not the question. The assumption in the psalm is you're part of the people of God. That's the assumption in the psalm. It's not if I'm gonna or not. It's how am I going to be a part of the people of God? How, is, how intentional am I? What, what, um, what comes from me inserting myself and being a part of the people of God? What comes from that? Genesis, uh, the story of Genesis is about God's creation not being done until there's community. I mean, you, you look through all the pages of scripture and how community is good and bad and, and there's been some pain and all that kind of stuff. The book of Hebrews is the, the writer of Hebrews is a pastoral figure. We don't know who it is, but this pastoral figure is encouraging uh, the followers, the early followers of the way to stop dropping out of community. Uh, that and what's happening here is there's so much going on in around in and around Jerusalem and the people of God are being scattered 
based on persecution and different things happening. And it, it would be really easy to, um, I don't know, walk away from the people of God because it's too painful, it's too difficult, it's too messy. Kind of sounds like right now, right? Like wherever you are in your faith journey, things could be like uh, really going well for you and you're, you're growing and you're learning. Some of you uh, may be experiencing a set of, of, of sadness in your faith journey right now or confusion. And you're looking around at some of the other followers of Jesus and you're like, I don't know that they get me. I don't know that they understand me. I think it'd be just easier if I just pull back and pull away. Well, the writer of Hebrews is a pastoral figure and he's saying, don't, don't do that. As hard as it is to keep pushing in and to keep leaning in and to keep making yourself uh, available and, and around other followers of Jesus, you need to do it. It's a precious gift. He says this, in, or she, we don't know who the author is in, in Hebrews 10. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaches so this idea that there's this community that this pastor is talking about that where each person is taken seriously that each person learns to trust the other person um, that we tell stories about our lives that we we depend on each other we have compassion for each other and that we're compassion as this kind of like almost like deep pain stomach like pull towards the other person uh, we celebrate with each other that's it, that's what this is all about and so so this psalm has two beautiful pictures that are kind of weird for us just in our culture of what it looks like to be in community with other people the first one is oil and this comes from exodus 29 when they anoint Aaron um, uh, as a priest, as the first priest of Israel, by pouring oil over his head. And the idea in the ancient Near East with oil is um, it had healing properties. It had uh, like, uh, like, a, like a nourishing, warmth, softening property to it. And, but, but most importantly, it's not just like a, um, you know, a, a cosmetic um, addition to your life. Um, it actually had this purpose of anointing a priest. And anointing a priest in the Old Testament was this idea that God's um, affecting himself upon this person in such a way as to uh, bless the people. And so what a priest was is a conduit between the people and, and with God. And a priest was anointed with oil to be that bearer of, of the people's needs and, and hurts and longings to God and God's conduit back to the people. And, and so this is a beautiful passage because what the psalmist is saying is that the that community, like being in unity as a church, as, as a community, and understand unity is not uniformity. Um, unity is, we'll get into that here in a second, but that, that this idea of being in fellowship and community with each other is actually like um, what the priest experiences being anointed with oil. That there's a healing property and a, a nourishing property and a warming property, but, oh, and a softening property, which is probably really important too, but 
this idea of being anointed as a priest um, carries a lot of language as we go forward in the New Testament. The, the next picture is dew. And this is the idea of Mount Hermon and, and dew uh, coming in the morning and this idea that, that nourishment, okay, nourishment and the watering of the agriculture down below. I mean, the dew would come and it would run down the mountain and it would uh, nourish every, everything uh, that needed life um, around Mount Hermon. And so this is this idea of anticipation and encouragement that growth is underway, that things will be new and things will be alive. And this is really important. It's this idea of ever-renewed expectation of what God is doing in the other person. This is the opposite of writing people off. This is the opposite of saying that person's going through something really difficult. I'm just going to back off a bit and give them space. This is the idea of waking up in the morning. And knowing that God is up to something in the people around us. And maybe their behavior is not changing that day. Or maybe you didn't get that response that you wanted. Or, or maybe they're, they feel a little bit, it, it feels hard to be around them. It is the ever uh, trusting expectation that God is at work in somebody else. Slowly, yes, but God is at work. A community of faith flourishes when we have this view of the other person. That we are expectant that God is transforming them and that we see other people, other people of God as our priests. These beautiful images for us to explore. See, we get to explore the fascinating depths of each other's histories, um, the good and painful stuff, and to share in each other's pilgrim journey. And this is the difference of being a pilgrim and a tourist. See, our American mindset just says, hey, you, if you follow Jesus, just attend church. Show up, consume it, and leave. Don't have to get really involved in other people's life. Remember, this is a personal relationship. Um, you don't have to really get involved with people. Um, you don't have to see other people as, um, as, as priests in your life that they can speak into you and you can speak into them. Um, you don't have to really worry about them um, uh, in what, what's going on. In their, they, they seem too messy. You know, you can just keep your distance. That's the American church. And that's been exposed a bit, especially over the last couple years. See, the oil flowing down Aaron's beard uh, communicates warmth and a priestly relationship. And the dew descending down Mount Hermon slopes communicates fresh expectancy and newness. And, and here's, here's the challenge for us as a community. Okay, I'm just going to be really honest. We are each other's priests. And that means that you, if you follow Jesus, you have the spirit of God. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. And that matters. And that matters to other people who follow Jesus. It just matters. And they matter to you. 
And so when you choose to withhold yourself from relationship, you're actually robbing somebody else of your priestly duty to be in their life. And I think one of the things that's really important for us to understand is back this summer, we recognized that we were, as a church, in what we called liminal space. And liminal space is that space in between. And, and although much of this has had the conversation about where we meet and how we meet and all that kind of stuff, we've always had the conversation with us as a community. It's not important how, but who. Who God is creating us to be. Who God is transforming us to be as a community. And some of you might think that with the purchase, I and mean, we voted last week to purchase the building, and that's still under um, construction, you know, that's still happening, it's still kind of moving in, in that direction, that with the purchase of the building, that somehow that liminal space thing gets solved. That for whatever reason, now we're just going to go back to being the kind of church that meets on Sunday mornings and that you show up and you listen and consume it and then you leave. And that's not the case. Do I know how it's going to look totally? I don't. I don't know how this is going to look. Buying a building doesn't mean that this change in this liminal space of uncertainty goes away. It's not a season that ends and we're back to normal. In fact, I, I just want to encourage you with something that might seem kind of scary. The church worldwide is changing, and it's changing fast, and it's going to be uncomfortable, and the church needs to change. And restoration needs to be creative. We have to be creative. And I want to remind you that we are not an attractional model church, meaning we don't have this mission statement or this way of operating that says, um, we're going to put on a great performance on Sunday mornings. You bring your friends to it because you're really proud of it and it's really slick. And, and then maybe they'll come to know Jesus. We, we, that's not our philosophy. That's not our strategy. Our strategy is to be the kind of people that are attractive to, G, to people who are looking for answers. Meaning your life would be positioned in such a way with the people in your life that you are intentional about being around people who don't know Jesus or who are far from the family of God. And your life is a beacon of hope because not because you're perfect, not because you're moral, but because you're honest, you're loving, and you're non-anxious. And so we have to be creative. Guys, our church is not interested in brand loyalty, and we're not interested in anything else but the fact that there are people who are far from God and people who are far from the family of God. And I think we have to be, live into that idea of being a creative minority. And we talked about this idea a couple of years ago. It's been part of our drumbeat going forward here that we are a Christian community. I'm just going to read this, this quote I've been working off with a guy named John Tyson. It says, a Christian community in a web of stubbornly loyal relationships knotted together in a living network of persons, 
in a complex and challenging cultural setting, which is ours, who are committed to practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of the world. That sounds like the kind of community that the psalmist is talking about. A community that has purpose. Notice in the community, he didn't say, well, this is how we do it. We get together once a week and we sing a few. It's not what the psalm says. The psalm is talking about the effects of a group of people who are on purpose and on mission together and are stubbornly loyal who see each other as priests, who are actually expectant about the transformation of God in each other's lives. That's what this is about. Uh, we are all about table fellowship. We are all about you and your family or you as an individual opening up your table for others. We're all about that. And, and it was one of those things that Angela and I have been trying to model in the life of our church. Um, we're searching, okay, as a church, of how to be community together. Now, we had some conversations last week at our all-church annual meeting. And the meeting was about the building. But what ended up coming out were how we would be in community together. And I don't think anybody's like, like hates the idea of a building, but the idea of how we're going to be in community and what changes, it's really important to us. So I failed to really answer some of those questions as good, as well as I could have. And so what I want to do is have you answer some questions. How will our house church continue? Now, some of you are, are experiencing a house church right now. You are in a house church. You look around and um, you like everybody or you've gotten to know everybody and you're, you've been priests to each other. You've expected God's best for each other. And you don't want that to end. And I don't want that to end either. So what does this look like? So the question I have for you as a house church is how will this continue? Oh, I've had conversations with some house church leaders that say, hey, we're moving to a weeknight and we're going to have dinner together. It's fantastic. I've had conversations with some house church leaders and they say, well, we're thinking about utilizing the building and maybe after the large church Sunday gathering, we'll have lunch together up in the gym with the kitchen and everything and kids will be able to do their thing and, and that's what we're leaning toward. Some of you actually would love to still do Sunday morning house church. Let's try it. Like if you, if your house church wants to gather once a month as a house church on Sunday morning, like we'll try to figure that out. Some of you might move to an evening. Some of you might want to spend a Sunday afternoon together. Some of you aren't in a house church. And, and you've kind of pulled back a bit. You're missing this. You're missing the priesthood of believers. 
See, in, in 1 Peter, it talks about you and I, as followers of Jesus, are a priesthood of believers, meaning that we are each other's priests, that we actually bring each other closer on a pilgrimage. There are times when you and I sit together and, 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 or, and we, we gather with others and they speak into us life and love and encouragement. Maybe even a, a little bit of challenge and confrontation. See, what's interesting about this psalm is it doesn't say it's all puppies and rainbows. It talks about unity, and unity's hard. I don't care if you're an ancient Near East Hebrew or a modern day American citizen. Unity's hard. It takes work, it takes effort. It takes forgiveness. It takes reconciliation. It takes bearing with each other. It's all the New Testament one another's. And that's what we're after at Restoration. We're not after consumers. We're not after individualists. We're actually after you entering into relationship with each other. And I'm going to take my hands uh, as, as a visual example, and I just want you to know that I'm not going to control that. I'm not going to control that. It's not like our way or the highway. It's not like, hey, Sunday morning's it. You do everything outside of that. We just want you to know that we want you to be in community. That's the win. That's the win. Bottom line. And we're not out for attendance. I'm working on that in my own heart. We're actually after community. And so I want you as a house church to talk about what this looks like going forward and answer these questions together. Let me pray. God, we are confronted with uh, a lifelong pilgrim journey homework assignment, and that is how do we walk together? How do we walk this pilgrimage together? How do we care for each other? How do we believe the best about each other? How do we trust that you are working in each other's lives? How do we avail ourselves as, as priests to each other? How do we take this seriously? How do we express this to a lonely, desperately lonely community around us? How can we taste the blessing of what it looks like to be the people of God that you intended us to be? Show us the way forward as a house church, as a whole church. We pray these things in your name. Amen.